Oh, Simon, I've made a terrible, terrible error. I've made such a bad, bad life choice. Just now or during the week? It was probably about 45 minutes ago, maybe an hour ago. Oh, no. I decided that instead of having a nice glass of wine with dinner, I would have a dark and stormy before dinner. What's a dark and stormy? It's rum and bitters and ginger beer. And then that led to a second Rum and bitters and ginger beer. Wow. Yeah, it's very nice. And unfortunately, because it was so nice, I thought, this just tastes delicious. I shall have a second. Instead of dinner. That's a Oh, no, I had dinner as well. It was a very nice uh, chicken cassoulet. Um, But I know I'm regretting my choices in life because I am feeling sleepy and a little bit drunk. This is a podcast in which two friends talk about the pleasures, absurdities and imperfections of being human. I'm Simon Ellis. And I'm Lee Miller. Welcome to Midlifing. I'm now going to be sensible, thoughtful, cogent, coherent, incisive, witty, and I'm going to break the habit of 107 episodes. I think it's 115 Mm. Oh, are you saying that there just... were seven episodes that you were actually were all of those things? <laughs> no, it's just making a wild stab in the dark. <laughs> I don't know what number we're on. No, I don't either. Where we're going, we don't need numbers. So, oh, I know where you're going there. Um, and I had... Marty! Marty! Um, <laughs> I had... Uh, two things came up. One, I just watched the, I just watched the trailer for a <laughs> film called Tetris. Which is, which is a spy thriller about the origins of the game Tetris, <laughs> and I believe it stars Taron Egerton, famous for Rocket Man and Kingsman. Yes, and other films with man in the title. That's right. I was trying to recognise him behind that moustache, and I figured that's who it was. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you know that it exists. I know. I know conceptually. It, it lives in the world, but I have not watched the trailer. I loved that game. And the other thing... And the other thing I did... Did you ever get the uh, shuttle to go off at the end? No, I, what? Uh, at the end of Tetris? There's an end? Oh my God, yeah. Bob has bested a Tetris on, game on many Boy. occasions on her Game Boy. Yes, yeah, I never played it. Yeah. I only ever played it in, um, we had it, there was a, like, a, I guess you would say a Chinese takeaway, and uh, that's where I played my Tetris in Dunedin. Is this the same one that had the naked ladies behind the counter? No, that was in Masterton, and that was a that was a fish and chip shop. That was... I knew it was a takeaway of some description. <laughs> yes, the, um, no, the Chinese takeaway in, um, Dunedin, that was it was a classy joint, and uh, yeah, that's a boob free zone. That was the that's exactly where I played, and it was the you know the original game with the kind of Cossack Russian Cossacks dancing in the background. Ba, 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 that's what exactly doing. singing the song. Exactly, for you. thank you. And yeah, the welcome. other thing I did, which is um, relevant, not to Tetris mm-hmm. but to us, no. is that I no, listened yeah. to a podcast the other day in which. 
they were talking about the worst mistakes you can possibly make if you have a podcast. How many of them do we take on the weekly? We, um, we're not doing very well. Uh, okay. The key thing they said was to make it as niche as possible and that if you were just going to be a couple of people talking about anything, you had to be serious personalities. <laughs> I don't mean... I don't mean have personalities. I mean be like famous. <laughs> okay, right. So otherwise, if you so, what's this predicated on? Success, as in the number of ears, lawyer money, or oh, okay. I mean that ship sailed. We're already rich beyond the dreams of Cretia. So who gives a it's shit? It's true. It's true. It's true. You're listening, rich in our hearts, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to um, boys and girls and lawyer money everything in between. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So we could change tack or we could just keep going and uh, spinning the world of shit between us and hoping that people will listen. I'm a big fan of shit spinning, but here's my question. If you were to course correct, you know, handbrake turn. What would we talk about? Squeaky tires. Yeah, what would you what would you pitch to me as our niche thing? Video games from the 1980s. I wasn't born in the 1980s. I'm just a little baby. Okay. I don't really think that video games in the 1980s is going to work for us because it's like, what, Pac-Man? Ah, Defender? Stargate? Okay, you could do this, but it's going to be a monologue. (laughs) Okay, great. Okay, so let's not... What else? What else? What else? Come on, keep pitching. Uh, Okay, okay. Um, No, nothing about computers. Okay, good. Uh... What about what about something to do with baking? No. Is baking an audio format? I think it's a mouth format. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's kind of uh, like I know. it's designed to go in one hole, the one in the middle of your face, not the ones on either side of your head. Yeah. That's my feeling. Yeah, anyway. I, I made some scones this morning, mm. just if we're on about baking. Uh, with some leftover sour cream, and uh, I, I just, just sprinkled a little bit of vanilla sugar on the top, and the whole house for the entire smelled morning like van- smelled like vanilla. Smelled like vanilla sugar. Do you and know? It just kept wafting around, going, "Oh, oh, I'm inside a cloud of gorgeous." What the vast, vast majority of our listeners will not know is that Lee is an extraordinary scone maker. That's very nice of you to say. I think you're the best. I think you're the best scone maker I know. I you you oh, wow. you're able to whip them up. They would be quite. Uh, I would. Uh, they would. No, they wouldn't stress me out. But they. I would have to be really concentrating. But you can just like, and you're done. It's. Be- I think it's because I've usually got the the fixings, and also they're so versatile. You know, you just need. A, a variety of bits of liquid lying around. So it's, you can have sourdough cast off, you can have a bit of cream, you can have some sour cream, you can have some milk. Anything will just go into a to make a scone. And do you do do you measure? Do you do any measuring? I'm trying to turn this. I'm oh, surreptitiously yeah, I do, I, turning I, this into a scone podcast. Well, it's usually I can tell by the mixing point where I'm like I'm mixing it together and I go, oh, I need another teaspoonful. Well, it's more than a teaspoonful usually. It's like a couple of tablespoons. And is it always uh, baking powder or is it bicarb that's used as the raising agent? Um, well, actually, it depends. Sometimes if I'm feeling old school, I will go with bicarb and cream of tartar. You cheeky bugger. You've got me doing a baking podcast without... Oh, you tricked me. <laughs> um 
But if I don't have cream of tartar and bicarb of soda lying around, I will just use generic baking powder. Right. And it's fine. But so I think that's quite I'm a that's right. quite a French or European thing to do to use cream of tartar and bicarb. That baking powder is not really a thing that seems to exist the same way in say France or no, Italy. It's or... it's it's relatively hard to find um I've noticed when shopping in uh, in supermarkets, supermercado in uh, in Portugal it's easier to get cream of tartar and and bicarbonate of soda than it is to get and they half, and half, 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 half get... blend, are they? Is it half half to make the same quantity of baking powder? Uh, no, I would probably I, I, I think I up slightly uh, on the bicarb. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's like two to one, a little lower. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, yeah. and um, there's going to yeah, be a recipe in this week's bake... show notes, uh, everyone. Um, <laughs> so it's going to be a scone recipe. Uh, I, I use red flour as a starting point. Ah, you don't use uh, which... uh, regular flour. So you need the gluten. You need the gluten. I like the gluten. It gives me. It gives me more of a, a kind of. I like my scones to have. I like them to be light, but I like them to have um, depth to them as well. I find plain flour a little bit. A little bit they fluffy. They can get a bit cakey. Yeah, a little bit, bit like um, like uh, Wonder Bread. I want my scones to be more towards the the bread end of the spectrum than the cake end of the spectrum. Yeah, I think the uh, yeah. No, I'm totally, I'm totally with you. It's been a long time since I've enjoyed uh, slash wolfed down several of your scones. Um, <laughs> we, we need to remedy that. So, what had ha- what has happened other than procurement? What has happened in your um, <laughs> week that you think we ought to do? What's our theme? What's our? We we need a theme. I think that the things that have been happening in my life are not necessarily theme. They're not fit for. Uh, Sonic consumption. <laughs> Not unless people want to hear that I spent many hours rearranging sentences in a paragraph today to try and make it better, and just kind of going, "Oh, I don't like that order. Oh, let me let me put this sentence here." I forget how. Um, once you've done a piece of writing, um, the, the 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 crafting of it can be just real slow. Oh, I oh I I. Yes, I understand, but boy, do I love that. Ah, you see now, I do if I am writing for me. Oh. But if I'm writing to effectively to contract. But yeah, so that's what I've been doing. It's, um, I've had a very similar week. I, I wrote my first ever narrative CV today. Did you? Do you know what? Do you know what that is? I assume you do. I I do, but I think everybody should hear the def- definition of a narrative CV from the mouth of Simon Kennedy. Ellis. So this is something that. So this is this is. Um, I think people will be screaming at their. I'm going to say iPods um, right now because they're thinking, why did they stop talking about scones and now they're talking about. Ugh. Anyway, and um, so there's a organization an institution in the united kingdom called ukri which stands for lee miller united kingdom research and innovation oh yeah you got to stick those two words together and i don't mean united and kingdom i mean research and research and innovation. Yeah, exactly and uh yeah. let's hope they're not listening right now and uh um hey some of my best friends work for ukri and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> How do I say this? It's basically it's part of um, part of uh, UKRI's efforts to change the way to make applying for money more equitable. And it came. It certainly came. All these changes are very recent. So the idea was that the the idea was that um, 
people, this is how I understand it, right? That normally there was traditional uh, CVs were sent in and they're just two pages and they're basically a list of accomplishments. And the problem with that in the eyes of UKRI, and I think I agree with them, is that there's a, there's a, there are much richer stories to be told as to how people get to be where they are and much more complex stories uh, that are not just about accomplishments. And it was also recognizing that so many, at least I think, so many accomplishments are, are not necessarily on the back of labor, meaning how is it that we get to be in the positions we occupy? And sometimes we get to occupy positions which are not based on merit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you yeah. think that's fair? I think that's, I think that's a very fair observation to make. Yeah. And so the idea of a narrative CV, CV as I understand it, is to try and, uh, try and uh, tell a richer story of one's life, which includes the kinds of things you do which are not just about academic accomplishment. They're much more about uh, – they definitely – a significant part of it is about academic accomplishment. But it's trying to – a much three, a much more three-dimensional story about who, who you are, why you do the things you do – the kinds of contributions you've made and how you got to be where you got to be. That's a beautifully eloquent summation, Simon. And, t- and today you did your, you finished your first one. Yeah, it's the first time I've had a go at it. How was that? It was, uh, well, it's that writing to contract thing. Because it's cl- mm-hmm. what's not clear from the process, which is a source of frustration for me and I imagine other people, is it's not quite clear what it is that they are looking for, meaning UKRI, and that's even might be quite different from how it is that other people, the people who decide, these are peer reviewers, what they are going to see in these, um, and of course they've had training, uh, and so it's a little bit, it feels a little bit, it, it feels like it's added, it's added one more, one more branch to the lottery ticket of uh, applying for and getting funding. As much as I enjoyed writing it, uh, I'm not convinced that it does. Uh, I've also completed the equality, diversity and inclusion um, statement and the environment statement. I've got uh, a question for you. What did you learn about yourself as a result of writing a narrative CV? Did you see yourself and your achievements in a different light? Not really. And the reason I can, I'll say that is because I was I was put through a much more detailed and complex process when I uh, did the application to become a professor. Ah, right. Okay. Which is not to say that I copied and pasted uh, <laughs> significant chunks. No, no, you never would. No. If you're listening, UKRI. <laughs> so what did you learn about yourself then through the process of going for professorship? Did things get um, did things get reflected back to you in a new way? Yes, I think, well, two things, which if you're listening and you're an academic and you're thinking, hmm, I want to be a successful academic, um, then this is a story about what not to do, um, which is not to say I'm not a successful academic, just to be clear, um, whatever that might mean. I mean, at this stage that I've got a job and dance research is a pretty... Uh, <laughs> That's a, that's a pretty high watermark, actually. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, it's a leaky boat, no but, question. Well, that you don't have to, that you, you know, when was the last time that you had to be in front of a room full of undergraduate students? 
when you say a room full, like, like, <laughs> like, like what number? Yeah. I mean, a, a, you know, a class full, like, let's say 30. Yeah, I haven't, um, yeah, probably 2015. So that would be an indication of a particular type of quote unquote success if we understand success to be the gentle moving away from being involved in undergraduate provision. Which I completely disagree about, with, but yes. Um... I completely disagree with it as well. However, there is a strange hierarchy within UK oh, yeah. higher education. The higher you get, the less you have contact hi- with undergrads. Uh... Yeah, which is a, a strange situation. It's truly bizarre. But... I hated it. I hated it. Oh, anyway. Yep. I... So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm so I'm, yeah. I'm I'm I wasn't there. I wasn't using your lack of contact with um, undergraduates as a as a, a, as a watermark of your quality. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I was just meaning that you know, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's a it's a way it, it, it's a marker. It's, a it's, a, it's, a, it's a an external mark, a shorthand. Yeah. That's right. Oh, proxy. That's a much better way, a way of Thank saying you. it. Yeah. I mean, normally you're the one that dishes out the um, the hyper English, so I'm just trying to get my own back a little bit. I don't usually start these podcasts um, <laughs> like three, four shots, four shots of rum in. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah two things if i can remember this uh the, the what not to do was that i realized that i'd had not played the game at all that i really had not played the game of academia at all that i would had gone from i just followed my curiosity and had had a great time um uh doing a bit of this and doing a bit of that and not not at all um, doing the kinds of things when you look at an application to become a professor going, oh, God, I really should have been doing that 20 years ago kind of thing. Yeah. So not at all. I have not, I have, I have willfully, you might say, not played the game at all, which maybe you could, you know, you could ask, well, who gets to do that and is still in the game, you might say. Yeah. <sighs> and, um... And then the other thing I learned was that I really liked thinking about well, there's something that saddens me about that, and the uh, the first part, and that is that one of the things I really admire about people, um, and acad- not just academics, but I, I'm going to use the word boffins, and it's someone who's stuck with something. And just persisted and persisted and persisted, who and who becomes an expert through persistence, not because they want to become an expert, but because they just spent and they stay with that thing. And and uh, in a way, there's a part of me which is a certain amount of sadness that I that I don't have that particular um, that I don't have that thing as a as a midlifer. I can go. I'm an expert in this specific, <laughs> this specific thing. <laughs> I wouldn't want to have done that thing where I just persisted with this one thing for decades in order to become, in order to play the game of academia. Um, because I'm a magpie. I'm a I'm a magpie in terms of the things I read and the things I get curious about and spend. And I'll dive deep into something, and then three weeks later I'll be diving deep into something else. And then six months, you know. And 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 I and yeah. I love that. Don't get me again. Don't get me wrong on that. But it's not. It's, I, there's an aspect of it which is, oh, I I missed. There's a, I could have really contributed to something. 
and I don't. It's not even regret. It's not. I don't. It sounds like regret. It doesn't feel like regret though. It's really, it's. I mean, maybe this is a conversation which is, you know, because of course the the nitty gritty of academia is, it's not riveting podcast material. Let's face oh, it, and gosh, um, it's not. And so, I, just a you know, quick apology to everyone, but uh, it does, <laughs> you know, it does make me think about. Well, it's a you know a simple thing, which is, isn't it extraordinary how we, how we human beings end up doing the things we do. Oh, be a great, uh, great uh, subject for a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I'm just reminded that as as much as the thing that you just said about the things that we we do to occupy ourselves. Well, no, no, I mean that, that we that how it is that we end up doing what we do. But yeah, but it's important. I think it's. I'm trying to stumble my way towards saying. There is such, pri- uh, I'm sorry, but there is such privilege that you and I have experienced because we are doing things that bring us joy and also happen to pay the bills quite well, as opposed to many, many, many people who might find that they are enjoying the thing that they do, but but maybe took it because of, you know, they were made redundant at 15 and a half and their brother-in-law got them a job in a butcher's but there's store. Still, yes, I know. I, I, I understand. There's a still a certain amount in both examples. There's, there's still a certain amount of ending up doing something. It's not like it's not like I had a plan and circumstances happened and then, you, oh, I'm here and I'm here. And, I'm, and I, I appreciate the difference you're describing. I really do. But there, there's just that it's the slightly... The, it's the unplanned aspect of how it is that we end up doing what we do that that I guess I'm curious about in this conversation. I'm not sure that I'm not sure that everybody is as unplanned though as you might feel you are. Right. Because there are you know, if you think about somebody who wants to be a doctor, a medical doctor, they probably make that decision around about fourteen or fifteen. In most cases, I know we have some very unusual friends who may have become a dancer first and then retrained. But in most instances, those people who go on to work in a clinical context make that decision yeah. in enough time to then set their their hat towards the right A-levels totally. and then get to the right university. So there is a but, kind of... Yeah, yeah. I, sorry, sorry. I should let you finish. No, I, I, I'd run out of steam. No, just that... It, but there's also... But for all of those stories, if I think of all the people I knew who were at medical school and who finished their medical degrees, I mean, by far the vast majority of those people are not practicing medicine now. So for all their planning, they still ended up doing something else. I guess so, so yes, there are definitely stories in which, okay, at 14 or 16, I realized that I had to study this in order to just chemistry and biology in order to et cetera, et cetera. But... Um, there's also all the other stories, which is how is it that I ended up, to, you know, I don't know. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. no, I, I I, think, yeah, I think you're right. It's a balance. I, I was just observing that it felt like you were making an assertion that everybody was a leaf on the wind, which I have very happily owned my position as a leafy wind or a windy leaf. I'm not sure which. <laughs> I like a windy leaf. Yeah, I don't. I, yeah, 
Yes, it's a it's a sort of a question about our perception or the reality and the perception of agency, isn't it, in, in the construction of a life. I guess that's true, yeah. Maybe there are people who are telling themselves that I set my cap at this and look where I am now. And then there are people who go, well, you know, I went left. I could have gone right, oh, but look where I am now. Yeah. One of the things in that narrative CV is I talk about I stumbled into dancing as as based on a curiosity about the body motion, but also because of seeing a, a terrible Cold War era dance film. You know, I mean, that, that is quite literally how I got interested in dancing. Huh. Was it the the one with... Uh, Go on. Was it White Was It, white it was White Nights. <laughs> I saw that film and I went, I want to be a dancer. I mean, it is a really bad film, but I've watched it a lot. I mean, who were you modelling yourself oh, on? Oh, not Gregory Hines. I I thought, ta- I mean, he was amazing, but I thought I didn't, tap dancing wasn't really my thing. But um, no, Mikhail Baryshnikov, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. He danced the opening scene. He's dancing a, a, a dance, a ballet called Le Jeune Homme à la Mort, The Young Man in Death. And I just, it blew my mind seeing what he did in that, in that ballet. Completely. I was transformed, it transformed my life. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And isn't the, um, isn't one of the songs, is it a Phil Collins song on the it soundtrack? It is a Phil Collins song. You call me from your room in your hotel. I mean, I can play a bit for you if you want. All full of romance for someone that you met and tell me how sorry you were. No, that's not that. Leaving so soon. Also, Helen Which Mirren is, is in that film. I forget that Helen oh, Mirren is in Yeah, that is. That is exactly uh, the song. Isn't that no more? Separate lives. You call me from your room in your hotel. All the romance for someone that you met and tell me how sorry you were. Leaving so soon that you miss me sometimes when you're alone in your room. Do I feel alone you too? You have no right to ask me how I feel. <laughs> I, you know that. I don't recognize anything so of what you're saying. Something. And one day I might, I might find myself looking in your eyes. But for now, we go on living separate lives. Oh, there we go. He, my goodness me! That I mean, I you, you no completely, you completely rogered that song. But um, that you knew. I mean, what, I didn't sing it. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't sing it in tune particularly well because I was trying to work out but, the words. But, but no, well done, well done. Thanks. Uh, 